coming from both Jeremiah chapter 28 as well as Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to begin reading in chapter 28 at verse 10. In the context here as well as the content of what we will be reading concerns the message that prophets gave to the nation of Judah concerning their captivity. The prophet Jeremiah telling them the word of the Lord faithfully, namely that their captivity would last for 70 years, but a false prophet, Hananiah, telling the people that it would only be for two years. So that's the context for the words of our text in chapter 29. So Jeremiah 28, beginning at verse 10. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and brake it. And Hananiah spake in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Then the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet, after that Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. And I have also, and I, and I have given him the beasts of the field also. And said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that, Jeconiah the king and the queen and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem. By the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent unto Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there, and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives. And pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof, shall ye have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after Seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace 
and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me, and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations, and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. We read God's word thus far, and now let's direct our attention to our text, which is verse 11, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. As verse 1 of this chapter points out, beloved, this word of God that we read in chapter 29, and part of which we consider was a letter that Jeremiah sent to those who had been carried away captive to Babylon. And Jeremiah knew and wrote this letter under God's direction to the people at a time when the circumstances for the people of God in Babylon were very, very difficult for them. They had been taken by force from their homes and from the promised land. They had been separated from Jerusalem, which was the place of worship for them. And they had been subjected to slavery. They were prisoners. They were under the oppression of the Babylonians now. And they were mocked by their captors in Babylon. And there was for them no possibility of escape or of return to the land of Canaan. And so the Lord directed Jeremiah to write this letter in order to give hope and encouragement to the people of God in that time of captivity. God's message to them was not this, your captivity and your trouble will soon be over for you and very soon you will be able to return to the land of Canaan. That was not the message. That message was a lie, the lie of Hananiah the prophet. God's message as regards the captivity was the opposite of the lie of Hananiah, namely that the captivity would last for 70 years, as Jeremiah stated in his letter, and as we read of that in verse 10. This was going to be a long captivity. This captivity and this oppression this experience of the heavy hand of God upon them was going to last a whole lifetime for them, as it were, 70 years. And that's why Jeremiah said to them in verses 5 through 7 that they ought to go into the captivity with a perspective of establishing themselves there for a time. For a long time, build houses, get married, have children, see that your children are married, and seek the peace of the city where God puts you in Babylon, a lifetime of <coughs> adversity. The encouragement was not, it's going to be short. 
But the encouragement was rather this, that they must hear about and they must ponder and they must never forget the profound thoughts of Jehovah their God toward them and concerning them. That was God's word of encouragement and comfort to them. And that is God's encouragement to us today as well. The circumstances of Judah point to the circumstances of the church and people of God today. Circumstances that are often unpleasant, circumstances that are often very difficult for us. The Church of Christ experiences trouble in this world. We know that from recent years. The saints of God are always afflicted in this life. We all know that from our own experience. And I can say it doesn't take long for a new pastor to learn how true the words of Psalm 34, verse 19 are. Many are the afflictions of the people of God here in Dune as well. Jehovah speaks a word of comfort to us. Not by saying to us, your troubles will soon be over, but this. Hear about, learn about, ponder, and always remember my thoughts toward you and concerning you as the church and the people of God. Let's consider then Jehovah's thoughts toward us, noting their eternal origin, their positive content, and their blessed purpose. The text says, God says to us in the text, I think of you. Literally, I am thinking of you. That first of all. That's a remarkable thing. God is thinking about us right now. God is always thinking of and God is always remembering you and me. He never forgets you and me. We are always on his mind. Thinking of you, God says. Now that's a phrase that we sometimes use. You might say to someone who is a friend, someone who is going through a difficult time in their life, I'll be thinking of you. Or I am thinking of you. And we certainly mean well when we say that and we express our loving concern for them when we say that. That's a word that can be reassuring to them. But think of it. How often do we carry through? How much do we think about them? Certainly our thoughts of them are not constant. Soon we go on with our activities, go on with our life, and we forget about them. But God cannot forget. That is described so very well in Isaiah chapter 49, verses 14 through 16. Isaiah 49, verse 14, But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, 
they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. God cannot forget. And so God is thinking of and God is remembering you and me when even to us it may seem that he is not remembering us. He is Jehovah who changes not. We are always on his mind. He is thinking of and he is remembering you even when you don't remember him, which often happens. We forget him, but he never forgets us. He is thinking of you and me every moment in our earthly lives, thinking of us in all of our joys, but also in all of our sorrows in life, thinking of us during every trial, thinking of us in the darkest hours of our earthly pilgrimage, thinking of us in the deepest misery that we experience in this life. God is always thinking of his people, which is certainly a very humbling thing. Why should he bother to think about us? David expressed that in Psalm 8 verse 4, what is man that thou art mindful of him. Why should God be thinking of us, we mere men and women who forget him and even sin against him? But he does. God is always thinking of his people. That, first of all, concerning the thoughts of God in our text. But you must understand, beloved, and we must all understand, that God's thoughts, as they are mentioned here in our text, are more than simply a reference to God thinking of you and me now. He does. But there is much more to the thinking of God than that. text, when it speaks of the thoughts of God, thoughts of God that are mentioned twice, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. Those thoughts are a reference, you must understand, to the eternal thoughts of God. Not just the thinking of God in time, the remembering of us in time, but a reference to God's eternal thoughts, God thinking of us in eternity, and therefore a reference to God's counsel. Many words are used in Scripture in reference to the counsel of God. It is referred to as his counsel, his will, his plans, his purposes, his good pleasure, but then also a few times in Scripture, the word that is in our text, the thoughts of God. Not as often, but a number of times in Psalm 139, verse 17, for example. Psalm 139, 17, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! And then also in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Those are references to God's eternal thoughts. Those are references to God's counsel. And that is the main focus of our text, not merely on the fact that God is thinking about us now, although that is true, and that is clearly implied in our text, 
but a reference to and a focus upon God's eternal, unchanging thoughts, God's eternal will, God's eternal counsel, so that we can read the text that way even. For I know the plans that I have, or that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Plans of peace. Or for I know the counsel or the purposes that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Purposes of peace. God's thoughts. God's counsel. God's plan. That's a very interesting and obviously a unique name in reference to God's counsel. And we may very well ask, why is this name used? What is it that is special about this name in reference to the eternal counsel and will of God? What does this name reveal to us about God's counsel? What does it show us about God's will? Well, first of all, the fact that God's counsel is referred to as his thoughts shows us that God has very carefully worked out his plan. You could say God has given his plans a lot of thought. God did not suddenly create the world without thinking about it first. God does not act without thinking, as we sometimes do. God did not make a quick and a sudden decision after creating the world that there would be a fall into sin, and therefore there would be sin in this world, and therefore he would need to send his son to save his people from their sins. That was no last-minute plan for God. Nor did God make a last-minute plan for your life or for my life. God eternally thought all these things. God gave careful thought to it all. It is a well-thought-out plan that God has, a plan in which God has given attention to every detail so that he never has to say on second thoughts, as we do. God's mind is made up. His plan is a perfect plan, it is fixed and needs not be changed by God. A plan with no mistakes in it, a plan that cannot fail. That's what's emphasized when God's plan is called his thoughts. But then secondly, this name thoughts points out to us that God's plan God's counsel, God's will is very important to him. Just think of yourself and a friend, a close friend, a friend that is very important to you. Maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a husband or a wife, a child or a parent. And you often say, that person is always on your mind. You're always thinking about that person. Why? Because that person is very important to you. And so that is true of God's counsel. This name that is given to God's counsel shows that this is something that is very important to him. Very important to him because when you know anything about God's counsel, 
you know that God's counsel concerns himself, first of all. His plan to glorify himself. His plan to do all things for the praise of his own name. So that we confess in the knowledge that we have of that plan and purpose of God. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name. Give glory and honor and praise. Important to him because God will be glorified. But also is this plan important to God because it is the plan that God has in which the Lord Jesus Christ, his beloved son, is central. His plan to send his son, his plan to give his son for the salvation of his church, his plan to glorify his son and to glorify his church in his son. That's very important to God. But then it's also important because these are God's thoughts God's plans concerning his elect, concerning you and me, his purpose to bring his children to eternal glory with him. And a clear implication that we do well to take note of is this, beloved, if, if the plan that God has concerning his church and concerning you and me as his elect and members of his church in Christ is very important to God, then we can know we are important to God too. We can be sure of that. Because these are God's thoughts. He thinks of us constantly because he has thought of us eternally as his beloved, precious to him in Christ. And concerning those thoughts, God says, I know those thoughts. That is significant because that has reference to God carrying out his eternal thoughts, carrying out his eternal plan by his providence. Whenever God does anything, he is telling us, when I do things, I know my plan. I know my eternal thoughts. I do what I have planned, and nothing is ever different from what I have eternally thought, eternally planned for my people. God knows that he has eternally planned to glorify himself by saving his church. God knows what he planned to do and needs to do in order to save his people. God knows that he needed to satisfy for our sins through the blood of his own son. God knows that he needs to send forth his spirit into the hearts and lives of the people of God to apply to us the work and the blessings that Christ has earned for us by his death. God knows what he needs to do in our lives to purify and refine us as gold and silver in preparation for glory, including chastisements that God may need to send upon us and including a heavy hand that brings troubles upon us in this life and including perhaps even a lifetime of many afflictions for the people of God. God knows his plan. And God says, I do 
all these things. And when I do them, when all of these things come into your lives, when all of these things happen in the history of the world, when all of these things are brought upon you as my people, I always have my eternal will in mind because I know my thoughts. I know what I have planned, and now I do everything in perfect harmony with my eternal plan. There is nothing that I do, and therefore there is nothing that happens to you, my people, that is different from my eternal thoughts, my eternal will and counsel. The eternal thoughts of God governing everything. But our text goes on, beloved, to speak to us and to mention to us also the content of God's eternal will, God's eternal thoughts. He says, these are my thoughts, this is my plan, thoughts of peace and not of evil. Obviously, God is saying to us that he has positive thoughts for us and not negative. He has a plan that is full of favorable and good things for his people, not filled with unfavorable and bad things for them. We deserve the evils. We certainly do. We cannot deny that. But Jehovah's will is always good. That's true even when it may seem otherwise to us. It may seem to us sometimes that his thoughts and his plans are negative for us. And we're tempted to say at those times in our lives, all these things are against me, as Jacob said. Or as David expressed in Psalm 77 that we sang earlier, God has forgotten to be kind to me. Or our evaluation may be that God's thoughts, God's plans are negative, destructive, harmful, hurtful. Not so. God's thoughts are thoughts of peace. His past thoughts or plans were thoughts of peace for us. His present thoughts and plans are plans of peace for us. And so also his future thoughts and plans. God is not out to destroy you and me. God is not out to take away all of our hope. He is not out to make you and me miserable in this life, but his plan is for us to have peace. Peace. But what does it mean that he will give you peace? Well, there are many who think that refers to earthly peace. And that thinking usually originates with a bad translation of Scripture, namely the translation of the NIV, which says this, or puts this text in these words, quote, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And so there are many who will turn to this text in the NIV translation of it and appeal to it as a text to support the lie of the prosperity gospel, teaching that God will give earthly peace to his people, earthly prosperity and earthly success to his people. 
And often they will paraphrase this text with these words, God has a wonderful plan for your life. That is, a wonderful plan for your earthly life, a plan that includes earthly prosperity, earthly success, earthly joy, earthly happiness, day after day, for the rest of your life. They ignore the context, of course, verse 10, which says, no, you're going to experience captivity. You're going to experience 70 years of captivity, a lifetime of affliction. A lifetime of the chastisements of God for your sin. So the text is not speaking about earthly peace and earthly prosperity, but rather spiritual peace and spiritual prosperity. Our text is speaking of salvation. That's what peace is. Peace is that we, through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, have peace With God, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To have peace means that God's favor is upon you. To have peace means that God's wrath has been removed from you through the sacrifice of Christ. To have peace that means that Your sins have already been punished by God. And the punishment that you deserve for your sins has been removed from you. That's peace. To have peace is to know that your sins have been forgiven. And God by His Spirit leading you in the way of confessing your sins and repenting of them and sorrowing over them, experiencing the forgiveness that God has for us in Christ. That's peace. The text says God has thoughts of peace for us. That is, God has as his purpose, as his plan, that we enjoy and experience peace with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his promise. And in connection with that promise, as the text speaks about the eternal thoughts or plan of God, God's plan and purpose is that everything in our lives serves that purpose. Everything in our lives serves God's purpose to give us and to have us know and experience now and to all eternity peace with him through Christ, his Son. That's peace. If you look at the context here, then you notice that the context Stephen spells out, fills out for us in some detail what those thoughts of peace are that God has. The thoughts of peace are, first of all, verse 10, that God says, after 70 years, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. God's thoughts of peace for the nation of Judah were that they would be delivered from captivity and they would be able to return to the promised land again. And that points to us, or for us, to the peace of God delivering us from sin and bringing us into the promised land, the land that is heaven. But God's plan of peace for them is also what is mentioned in verses 12 through 14. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. 
and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. That emphasizes the fact that God works faith in us. We call upon him. We pray to him. We seek him. We search for him with all our heart. That's the activity of faith in the child of God. And God has planned, that's part of his plan, to work that faith in his children so that they do call upon him, they do pray to him, they do seek him, and by means of faith they find him. In the midst of their suffering and trials in life, their affliction and burdens, this is what faith does. seeks God, calls upon him, and finds him. Why? Because God has planned that for his children. A plan that he fulfills. We find the Lord. and find our strength and our comfort in him. Sometimes, of course, the way of God for us is a very difficult way. Not pleasant for us to experience. That was true for Judah. But even then, the goal and purpose of God is your peace. It may be a heavy hand of God that sends sickness and pain into your life. But that's for your peace, for your salvation. It may, it may be a thought or a plan of God that involves trouble in the church of Christ. But that is for our peace, for our salvation. It may be a thought or a plan of God that involves a lifelong burden that no one else is even aware of and no one can really understand and no one else can fully appreciate or sympathize. But it's from the hand of God and it is for your peace. Peace with him through Christ. Your salvation. And that, beloved, is how we must always view and evaluate everything that has happened, is happening, or will happen to us. The confession of the believer is, these are the thoughts of God. This is the plan of Jehovah for me and for my life. It is, it is all for my peace. Even when I cannot see how. Even when I don't understand. Because Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's thoughts are far above and far beyond our thoughts. But they are the thoughts of God, the thoughts of Jehovah, thoughts of peace, of salvation for us. And through it all, God has and is fulfilling his ultimate purpose for you and me. His ultimate purpose. His ultimate purpose is, as the text says, to give you an expected end. Literally, a hoped-for end. Or a goal 
that we are hoping for. That is an end, that is a goal that God has planned for us and that God has promised to give us. And we, by faith, on the basis of that promise of God, hope for that goal, hope for that end. Hope for it with the true Christian hope of the believer. That is a hope which is characterized by certainty. Certain because this is the word of God to us, God's promise, God who keeps his word. But certain too because it has been earned for us by Jesus Christ. What is that end? That end, of course, is the final end that God has in mind. It's not an earthly end. It's not an earthly goal. Good for us to be reminded and good for you young people and children to know God is not promising earthly happiness here. God is not promising earthly success. God is not promising a life of ease for his people in this world. God does not have, in the words of many, God does not have a wonderful plan to prosper you in this life. God is not promising that your future on this earth will be trouble-free. What is his promise? His promise is to deliver you and me from this life, to deliver us from this world of sin. That's his promise. To take us out of this valley of tears and trouble one day in order to bring an end for us to all our sorrow, to all our sin, to all our trouble, to all our tears, and to all our experience of the chastisements of God upon us. And that surely is much, much better than an earthly life of prosperity and happiness, ease and success. The goal and the promise and the purpose of God is to glorify us. The goal and the promise and purpose of God is to have us stand before him one day clothed in the beauty and the splendor of Jesus Christ, his son. The goal and the purpose of God is for us to be with him eternally in our home in heaven, to see him face to face and to experience in all its perfection our covenant life with God. The promise and goal of God is to have us there in order to praise him eternally. That's the expected end that God has. That's the hoped-for goal and purpose that God has. And When that goal is reached, then, the words of the psalmist, then, then I shall be satisfied. This life will never find full satisfaction. It's a valley of tears and pain, suffering and distress. But in glory, we will have perfect peace and perfect joy. And God says, that's my goal. And I will accomplish it. And I will bring you unto myself. <coughs> the text, beloved, states very plainly that God knows and that God is always thinking of his eternal thoughts, his plans. 
we should do that also. Not focused on the present, the here and the now. Not living by sight, just looking at the things that we see and focused on the things that we experience. Not wondering why our lives could not be more pleasant, easier, but mindful of the profound eternal thoughts and plans of Jehovah and realizing that every detail of every day of our earthly lives is according to the perfect plan of Jehovah. So may God give us grace to lay hold upon this truth by faith. To be comforted and to be reassured that God is now preparing you to enjoy perfect peace with him forever and forever. Amen. O oh God and Father in heaven, Give us the hope, we pray, of that eternal peace and the assurance that thou art now preparing us for it and thou wilt bring us one day to enjoy it in all its riches and fullness, the peace that we have with thee through Jesus Christ, thy Son. Apply this word to our hearts, comfort us and strengthen our faith, cause us to put our trust and confidence in thee. In Christ's name, amen.